2: Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
3: Well, hello. Welcome to Jewel Says. I'm Jewels Julie. If you have anything you'd like to share with me, please DM me or email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. This past Saturday, March 5th, At the National Comedy Awards, in aid of Stand Up to Cancer, Catherine Ryan won the Best Female Entertainment Performance Award for one of her appearances in 8 Out of 10 Cats Does Countdown. I don't know which appearance, but I love 8 Out of 10 Cats, regular and countdown, even if Catherine isn't on it. Even though I know awards don't mean that much to Catherine, I mean she's grateful that she's able to earn a living doing work that she loves. Who wouldn't be? And I love how in her speech she thanked all the men who allowed her to be on TV. But Mummy, for one, was very happy to see her acknowledged because she really is incredibly witty, funny, insightful, creative, kind woman who happens to be my firstborn. Yes, I know, you probably know that because I seriously doubt anyone is listening to this who doesn't already listen to Catherine Ryan's Telling Everybody Everything podcast. I thank you for that. And believe me when I say, she was honestly all those things when she was three years old. Award or no award, I'm so proud of the extraordinary woman you are, Catherine. And I'm not just saying that so she lets me come visit If you're in L.A. the end of April, there may be tickets available to Catherine's second Netflix-is-a-joke-misses show, which was added because the first one sold out. I have family in the L.A. area. I don't know whether any of them listen to this podcast. Sometimes it just feels as though this thing goes out into a black hole. In my personal inconsequential news, I was cast to voice two very Teeny tiny characters on a video game. I don't even know which video game it is. And the third audiobook in the Hannah and Tamar teen mystery series that I've been narrating is now available on Audible, iTunes, and Amazon. It's called The Misplaced Dog. They're pretty sweet. They would be appropriate for a preteen. They're not scary or sexy or anything like that. International Women's Day is on March 8th this year, or was on March 8th this year, This just this past Tuesday. And the United Nations declared the 2022 theme to be gender equality today for a sustainable tomorrow. Hashtag break the bias. There's even a break-the-bias pose where your extended hands cross in front of you at about wrist level. According to Carolyn Criado-Perez's newsletter, Invisible Women, the newsletter, to which I subscribe, March is International Women's Month. I guess we're not just getting a day this year. Mm, I hope the men aren't too jealous. Uh... You know, some of them are, well, when's International Men's Day? I'm pretty sure it's in November. I know November's kind of a shitty month, but y'all got June for Father's Day, so deal with it. I know a few men who insist that there's no such thing as gender bias, that women have and always have had equal rights, equal pay, equal opportunity— The reason they don't earn as much is because they won't or can't do the hard jobs and they're not smart enough to invent anything. I've seen thank you men for inventing everything posts. And some of these people believe that claiming gender bias exists is equivalent to misandry, feeding into a bullshit political narrative to destroy men. The world is anti-man now. Well, it's not anti-man. It's anti-mean-man, not anti-man. I actually feel a bit sad for people who believe that because they obviously feel threatened. I just wish they could see that we want everyone, well, most of us want everyone, to enjoy equality in all areas of life. Wouldn't we all be better off if we shared financial and caring responsibilities? Is it fair that some men feel emasculated if they earn less than their female partner? Or if they're the primary caregiver in the family? Caregivers are a critical societal function. They're foundational to society actually being able to operate, not just caring for children, but elderly, ill, infirm. And it isn't exactly fun for people to constantly navigate how they dress, what they say, the effect of their facial expressions, where and when they can safely park, walk, run. All of this is a significant waste of physical, emotional, and intellectual energy. Believe it or not, it can be difficult to focus on accomplishing anything of value when you're dismissed as a pretty little sex object or a vessel for reproduction, until age transforms you into being invisible, or if you're dismissed entirely because you're not pretty enough. Men and women would just be happier if emotional expressions other than anger were worthy of respect. I don't know about you, but when I'm angry, sometimes my eyes well up with tears against all my best efforts to hold them back. And a lot of people view tears of anger as manipulative or weak. But as I said to one guy who sneered at me as I failed to hold back tears of rage, after he had said something so awful that I, I felt gut-wrenching, visceral rage throughout my entire being, he sneered at me, Look at you crying. Women are weak. You're a weak cunt. And I just said to him, If I were a man, I would have punched you in the face. Is that really a superior expression of anger? In the workplace, I've seen yelling, swearing, fists, pounding on desks and tables. I wish those guys would just well up with tears and head to the washroom to calm down. Although I did work with a woman years ago, early 80s, who used to throw huge binders of technical manuals at people. She was a rager. Once she came into my office, closed the door, I was just working away, minding my own business. She sat on my desk, which of course meant she was towering over me at close proximity. She leaned into my face and seethed at me. You think you can do it? At your fucking eyelashes and get my job. Well, I've got news for you. I calmly assured her that I had no intention of doing any such thing. And of course, she didn't believe me, but at some point she stormed out. I will never forget that woman. This was not an unusual outburst for her. She... <laughs> one time she came into the computer room where I was working and said... Your mother must be so disgusted with you. My God. Or uh, I was eating a bowl of soup one day and she's like, You can eat that whole bowl of soup. You're going to be fat as a pig. Anyway, huh. at least she didn't jump up and down and throw manuals at me. So my point is that men definitely don't have a monopoly on unruly, aggressive, raging behavior, even though in my experience, that woman was definitely an exception. I would have very much rathered that her eyes welled up with tears, she went into the washroom, calmed herself down, before confronting me with her irrational delusions. Oh, and she did make the mail boss cry, and I totally, totally empathize. He was dead right. We all have personal stories like this, and acknowledging that reality is, I think, actually changing things for the better. Hopefully, someone like my ex-colleague would today have access to mental health support, because she clearly had some unresolved issues. The world has certainly changed a lot since I was a young woman, and I can't even imagine how much it's changed since my mother was a young woman. Her father died when she was 15 years old, and she lived in Toronto. She didn't live in a remote community somewhere she had to quit high school and get a job to help support the family, even though she was the youngest of four. Why? Because the brothers had to stay in school. Their education in a Canadian metropolis was ranked to be of more value than her education. And people can claim all they want that men invented everything, but women throughout history have had many of their accomplishments credited to men. I'm sure you'll hear or seek out or read about many inspirational women's stories, some famous, some obscure, some who deserve some notoriety but never got it. But what about the everyday women from our own lives, our own mothers, grandmothers, cool aunties, In celebration of International Women's Month, which includes UK's Mother's Day on March 27th, I'd like to honor one of these regular women, Grandfather Abe the Babe's mother, Sarah, a woman who I think is a courageous hero. Sarah was born and raised in a German-speaking Mennonite community in Mexico. I had no idea until I got to know Abe that such a thing even existed. But this community, which originated in Western Canada, purchased the land. They didn't go down there and fight and steal it. They purchased the land, I think, sometime in the late 1800s or early 1900s. And they all moved south. I think they moved by train. None of them had a lot of money, and there weren't a lot of educational opportunities or unconventional life choices available to anyone, and in particular to young women. You were expected to go to church, work really, really, really hard, get married, obey your husband, have children, and raise them to go to church, work really, really, really hard, get married, and repeat. But Abe's mother, Sarah, was a bit of a rebel. She wanted her children to have a better education, to have opportunities that she herself didn't have. In 2014, Sarah agreed to let me film her talking about some of her experiences as a young woman. Part of the reason I wanted to do this was I... I know how much I would love to have something like this from my own mother, Dorothy, but I'm too late for that. And I thought it would be nice for Abe and his family and most particularly for Sarah's grandchildren to have a record of her firsthand accounts of some of the challenges that she had to overcome to give them a better life a life that she never could have had in the Mexican community where she grew up. Let me qualify that, though. I'm not saying that a simple life is bad. I'm sure a lot of people who live in that community are a lot happier than many of us who live in modern society. But the reality is that some people want a life that their community can't offer them. Sarah went to work as a maid... At age 13, which, my God, I can't even imagine. My granddaughter, Violet, is almost 13. She's been saying it since her 12th birthday. I'm almost 13, grandmother. And hearing Sarah's firsthand account increases my appreciation of what we have in Canada in terms of health care, education, and opportunity. I mean, none of it's perfect. But from a global perspective, it could certainly be a lot worse. I tease Abe about his pesky work ethic. I mean, I'm pretty industrious myself. I'm not exactly a a lazy little princess. But Abe and his family take work ethic to a whole other level. Sometimes I'll say to Sarah, Oh, Sarah, did you have a lazy day today doing six loads of laundry and baking six dozen buns? Her language of love is cooking and baking for people. And when we visit, I'll sometimes say, wasn't it generous of us to come here and let you give us all this delicious food? You'll understand where all this comes from after you hear Sarah tell me about her work life, which is where we started our chat back in 2014.
5: was very little opportunities. Like kids here, they have so many opportunities. We live in the land of milk and honey, flowing, and they don't know that. They have more than one pair of shoes. We had one pair of shoes if we were lucky. Very few clothes, and they were patched up again and again until there was, you know, mostly patches. And it was not because my parents didn't work. I worked very hard, long hours. The kids were paid with so little. That's just, when you don't understand what and other countries, when they say, well, support this, and I say, why would I support? They can support themselves. Well, I'm paying so little. And the government doesn't give you anything, you know. And the government is very corrupt. Life insurance, or anything, it's very risky to get anything like that. You may get something and you may not. Police and everything is very corrupt. When I was 13, that was my first job besides working on the fire a family that had just had a baby, and, and the husband came over and wanted a maid. <laughs> That's what you do there. And then my mom said, well, she's only 13. Um, you probably have to tell her most of it, what she should do, this and that. And so, Sarah, you better pack your clothes. I didn't have any shoes to pack. I, I remember that. I didn't have any shoes. I had a few clothes. I packed that in a bag, and I went with that man to their home. And I had two mentally challenged little boys, and a little girl, she was kind of okay, the little girl was about five or six, and these two little boys were about two and three, and then they had a baby girl. How did you feel at 13? Weren't you in school, or how did you feel about
3: leaving your family?
5: It it was a bit sad, but it wasn't too far of a drive. And school, I already finished school when I was uh, 12, because um, that was about the time there was no more school for me and that community, age 12. And, and then I wanted to go a little bit longer. I could have. But then my mom was so ill, I was telling you about uh, during that pregnancy. So she took me out, which that wasn't really a problem because that I was, should be done anyways, pretty much. I, there was no further education for me and that community. It was sad because in my mind, I always wanted to be a nurse. And I told my mom, and she said, I know that, but you can't do that in this community. You can't do that. You can't go among Mexicans and be trained because I wouldn't have been safe living in that community and going to school there. So it was impossible, but even impossible didn't distinguish all my flames. I mean, I still wanted to. It, It just, it was in me. I wanted to do that, you know. Yeah, that 13-year-old, that was my first job, and I had to milk uh, two cows. I had already milked the cow. I knew how to do that. Feed the pigs, the old-fashioned farmhouse family where they live self-sustained, you know, and grow most of their stuff themselves and have their own milk and all that. And um, I had to cook, clean, and I had to wash the diapers with a scrub board, which shouldn't have been a 13-year-old girl's job, but I did. My mom told me not to. say that. That's something you don't have to do, even if they ask you. I just didn't tell my mom. I felt I just had to do it. Like my mom, almost always making some money. A lot of women did not make zero, okay? And my mom washing cheesecloths or working on the farm or doing something to contribute to the family's benefit. She worked very hard. Well, both of my parents worked very hard. So that was not the reason why we had so little but it just life was hard and everything was expensive, and pay was low, so that was uh, the problem. So then I didn't didn't go to nursing school. That was just impossible, just like I said. Now
3: you said your mother,
5: if you had been safe, might have supported you going. Uh, yeah, to school. oh yeah, my parents would have supported me if I had been safe in Max Camp Community to go to school there. Yes, uh, my parents were kind of an exception, actually. I would say, well, if it was safe then they would have received support. But, I mean, if it was not safe as it was, they would have said, well, if you let your daughter to be prostitute or whatever, you don't know, want to call it. They would have been shone from the church, probably. they say, well, you don't care about your daughter's life, purity. They would have been shone from the church. So my brother, who also wanted to go to college, whatever, but also couldn't, he did... Um, a correspondence course as a mechanic, though. There was a little bit more for a man, but he had a work hard to help the family with money. And I don't think there was anything available in a nursing at that time, at least not what I was aware of that I could do, because I really wanted to do it. So anyways, 13 years was my first job outside of my home, working on a farm. And then 14, 15, every once in a while, somebody would come. while well, that was extra money for my parents' then. They asked that the family would still work on the farm, but at least this one girl was bringing in some money, right? Maybe 100 pesos per month or something like that. It was some money. And um, then when I was 17, yes, I was working for another family. They had a big family and a big farm. It was a little bit better off than we were. And he had a good number of people working for them. And then way from town, to Jacob was, was the guy's name. He would... um take you um, when he wanted to go to town and he would say well you know, how many people are sick or need medical care and he would take those people on the back of the truck they would pile them all up and then they would go and see a doctor and a prescription to get medication whatever usually needles was very popular because i guess that stayed better whatever i don't know the the boss would come home and um, then he would um whoever needed a needle and in the morning or noon whatever and read instruction and he would Gave those people a needle. And then uh, this one day, he wasn't going to be home for a full day, but there were two ladies coming with a little boy, each that needed a needle the next day. And um, and he wasn't going to be home. And his wife was not into it, not, not at all. See, she was not interested. He asked me if I could do that. I said, I can do that. And he said, okay, today I'll show you how to do it, and tomorrow you can do it yourself. So I had one shut and looking what he did. And actually, I guess he let me do the one trial. He did the one needle and, uh, and showed me how to do it, rub it off and, and kind of go down and find a soft spot. Don't try not. Use it on the muscle. Well, I'm not sure why I'm trying, telling you this. Anyways, I was delighted. You know, I could do at least a little bit something that I had been wanting to do for a couple of years already. So then I was on it. And then he was kind of glad that he was off the hook. Then I was do that. And we did have new needles. I had to boil the needles and rinse them with alcohol and, and that stuff. So I took care of that. And then then the ladies were very comfortable with me. Then they said, Oh, Sarita is doing that now, that, that the needles. Yeah, that, let's go there. And then word got around to the next village. They said this was a young lady Sarita uh, that uh, doing needles. So then sometimes know. Uh, When someone would go, my brother or my dad would go with a tractor, go to that certain farm, then I would sit on a fender of a tractor with my little supply, and I would go to give some people a needle. That was famous nursing, right? (laughs) But that fulfilled at least a little bit of my dream. When you really want to do something and you can do at least a little bit of it, it feels really good. Oh, must have. So so I felt very blessed to do a little bit, something. I could do him a favor, and and I got something out of what I wanted to do. So I was not afraid of doing it, and I I just looked very careful. He showed me how to do it, and and I was just doing it.
3: You were 17 when you were doing
5: this. Yes, 17 and 18, yes. What other jobs did you have? How did that? Just farm work and working at other people's homes. Nanny, what you would call, but the nanny works from dark till dark. And how did you feel about those jobs? Well, it was, I knew there was not much available, working on a field or being in any, and uh, just the options were so limited that that was all there was to it. I was dreaming someday go to the United States or Canada and live a little bit of a better life.
3: Spoiler alert, Sarah did end up coming to Canada, obviously, but that's a story for another day. I don't believe in spoiler alerts anyway, because even if I know the outcome, I enjoy hearing the story behind it. The journey is often so much more interesting than the destination. I've been getting a few emails. Some people have asked me for my risk assessment spreadsheet. I actually stole it fair and square from uh, an Excel guru who designed it to help you with business risks. I just modified the examples to show relationship risks instead. If you're interested, you can still email me for it. I have been sending it to a few people. So I hope they're having fun with that. And last week, I shared an email from a young woman who was worried she wasn't going to get a second interview for a promotion she had applied for. I heard from her this week. She let me know that she did get the interview. If you don't get the job, just remember that's okay because there will be other opportunities. Thank you for listening. I do read all my emails, so if you have something you'd like to share, feel free to email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. Take care of yourself, your loved ones, and have a wonderful week.